Hey, and welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and my guest is uh, Karen, Karen Stolzmo. Hi, Carl. Yep, many of you, I, I'm sure probably most of my listeners probably know who you are. I've probably heard you on, um, well, Monster Talk, right? You, you are a co-host of Monster Talk. That's right, yes, along with Blake Smith, and uh, I've been a skeptic for decades now and investigating all kinds of strange claims over the decades, um, usually things to do with psychics and ghosts, and uh, so here we are going to be talking about conspiracy theories today. This is not something I usually venture into. Wow, but, uh, but uh, before we get into that, this is a portion of the program where I just ramble on with my guest for a long time. But um, uh, you are uh, you, you to add to your list of uh, things you you do. You're you're now you're a, you're a fiction writer now, right? You just recently released a book. As of recently, yes, uh, I've released my first novel, and it's called Hits and Misses, and that's M R S, uh, which is a pun on the phrase that skeptics like to use about hits and misses regarding psychics that we tend to pay attention to the oh, hits and right, yes. tend to ignore the misses. Right, okay. So oh. it's, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write and I'd love to write more novels in future. I'm juggling a couple of things at the moment, but I really enjoyed doing that. It was a departure from all the non-fiction I've written. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, um, what, so what, what's harder, fiction or, or non-fiction? You know, I think they... Uh, are both difficult in their own ways. Certainly mm-hmm. non-fiction, uh, for example, one of my books, Language, Myths, Mysteries and Magic, mm-hmm. took about 10 years wow. to write, and that wasn't me sitting down and writing it over those entire 10 years yeah, full right. time or anything. Yeah. That was just coming up with the concept and refining it and writing it in whatever spare time I have. Uh, so that, that took a long time. And obviously there's a lot of research that's involved with any non-fiction mm-hmm. book. Uh, you don't want to go making any mistakes when you're writing about the Mormons or uh, writing about uh, the Amish or something like that, like right. I, I did in God Bless America. Yeah. Whereas with a novel, it's my own creation. It's fiction. Uh, the characters are all products of my own imagination. There might be some resemblance to reality, mm-hmm. but it's really something I've come up with. And that can take some time as well because you're needing to craft an entire plot uh, and to invent subplots along the way um, to come up with a conclusion and um, you do have to do some research as well there are various things I talk about in hits and misses and uh, I needed to to go and do a bit of research into that and I talk a lot about cold reading and Mm -hmm. hot reading so there is still research involved but I just didn't feel that same pressure that you feel when you're writing nonfiction of being correct um, you just, when you write something, you imagine all of those skeptics out there questioning everything you're saying. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it keeps um, you on the straight and narrow. I always thought if I wrote a work of fiction, I, I, I'd, I'd structure it like an argument. You know, what is the, what is the, what is my thesis? And then, you know, one chapter is, you know, this character is, embodies an argument for my thesis. And this next chapter, this character embodies the counter argument. And you would sort of plod through it like that. Probably really dull. Yeah, well, I've got a friend, and I'm not talking about Blake here, but I've got another friend who is writing a book, and he's spent maybe about five years doing it, and he's trying to, his background's in programming, and he's trying to be very, uh, to to find a formula, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess. He's approaching writing a book from the same angle that he does writing uh, 
writing programs and it's just not getting anywhere. I think that you, when it comes mm. to a novel, you need to be a bit more free and easy and loose about things and right, just right. let it go where it goes. And, and that's certainly what happens with Hits and Misses. I found that I had an initial idea for the book and what the conclusion was going to be. And then ultimately the book wrote itself. Uh, yeah, that, um, that, a lot of things happened along the way. And in speaking with people too, and this is, I'm writing this book and this is what's going to happen. And just getting feedback and getting ideas and being influenced by others it really turned into something different yeah. than what I'd originally expected that, that's always sort of the most enjoyable writing that that sort of thing you you, you go it just it just wrote itself you know it's like um it, it's a race to get the ideas in your brain onto paper or onto you know the, the word processor and it just it, it's there whole in your brain you just trying to get it yeah, down there, there is some degree of that and I guess um, some people might call that the muses and yeah. um, <clears throat> that you, you feel like it's really <clears throat> excuse me that it's coming together and it's creating itself and uh, that it has its own flow and uh, yeah there's definitely a, a sense of that and uh, I guess it's just the creative juices flowing really but it is it is fun and very different to non-fiction writing yeah, I guess we could also add um, yeah, when you're when you're your greater accomplishments is uh, your 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 uh, relatively new parent, right? That's right. Yes, uh, it's fifteen months ago now. He's yeah. just turned fifteen months, and yet it feels like it was just yesterday. Uh, time's really going by so quickly. <laughs> um, but he's a beautiful little boy. Uh, he's he's just amazing. Every day he's doing something new. Yeah. Uh, his development is just so quick and it's just a remarkable thing to do. And I've always wanted to be a parent and uh, it took us about five years. We had to go through IVF ultimately. Oh, right, yeah, so yeah. It was a very difficult thing, um, but he is worth it. It's just been a remarkable journey. Well, I mean, reading, uh, I have uh, God Bless America and uh, re reading through that, there, 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 there's sort of a hint in there, right, that, that you were kind of working hard to get pregnant because I think you went to some um, some yes. fundamentalist yep. church or something uh, and, and the yes. woman said that oh you're going to get pregnant and, and do you look back on that and go well grudgingly I have to admit she's right or something you know? well um, I certainly don't attribute our luck, our success, our good fortune to God. Uh, I think you're referring to the chapter that's about um, uh, charismatic churches. Yes, yes, right, yes. And uh, it was a um, healing place that I went to where they performed faith healing. Mm, yeah. and, uh, so it was a very interesting place. There were lots of people there who clearly had various conditions and were there to pray for their healing. And um, so we were, we wrote our names down on this list and eventually we were called into this special prayer room and we had a, a couple who were very well-meaning mm -hmm. and uh, they prayed for us, prayed over us, did a kind of speaking in tongues-like thing and um, you had to tell them up front too what your situation was. So they, they knew that we were wanting to have a child and they knew that we were having infertility issues. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I certainly don't attribute our success to them in any way. It was about two years later, right, and right. certainly I attribute it to science. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, I remember when, when Monster Talk wrapped up its first season, so it ended on the, the uh, you, you Were Pregnant cliffhanger. And then uh, when season two of Monster Talk started, you, you were uh, you, 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 you given birth. 
Yes, we went on hiatus for a while, and uh, I think part of that was because I was going through pregnancy, and uh, Blake was certainly just dealing with some family issues, and um, so yeah, there was a <laughs> definitely a cliffhanger, and, and everything turned out well. Yeah, 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 it's good to have that monster chat. That, that is, you know, I always say, I always say, you know, I'm the podcast that doesn't want anything. Don't give me any money. And I always say, if you've got some extra money, just donate it to Monster Talk. That's, yeah, that's a, yeah, well, that's a really good podcast. Thank you very much. We're just starting with our Patreon and a various mm. some various other ways of raising some money because it's just got to that point. We've done over a hundred shows now, and it's uh, got to a point where we're needing a little bit of help. Right. Okay. And I guess uh, people, if they don't know, you you are also a, um, a linguist. Yeah. You have a PhD in. Yes, I do. Yes, uh, my background is linguistics, and um, in particular lexical semantics, which is studying meaning in language and kind of dictionary meanings. Um, And so I work as a teacher as well and do some research on the side. It's very difficult to juggle all of these, uh, to wear all of these hats. Yeah, yeah. Especially too, I guess, if you you have to travel places for some of your skeptical writing and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I think I tend to, if I have to go somewhere for a conference or uh, I have to travel somewhere for a family reunion, for example. Uh, I just try to fit in an investigation wherever I'm going, and just to, I guess, kill two birds with one stone. Right. And then being, I mean, you know, like my my, my fiance, she um, she has a, a six year old, but when obviously when she starts, you know, the sort of a new mother, you know, my my fiance, I, she she's not kind of like a like professional skeptic like you like you and I, but she's just kind of one of those natural background skepticism and you know you you encounter all of this woo as a new mother and you know like uh, attachment parenting and you know anti-vax and all that sort of stuff and, and she navigated quite well i mean how uh, how how are you finding that or is it is it just um, is it well, difficult at times i found one thing about being a parent and that is there's always a new stage so it doesn't matter whether your child is a newborn or three months old or a year old or two years old you're always going through some new stage and you'll always be getting advice from friends and from family and from complete strangers uh, I'm just amazed at how much of a, a beacon my son is he just really seems to attract people who just want to come over and tell me about their children right, or right. To, to talk about blade and uh, so I'm always getting suggestions and advice from people yeah. and a recent one was he's Still going through teething. He's got about eight teeth at the moment. Right, okay. And uh, I just had someone comment recently and say, if he's, of course, a lot of people recommend alcohol for teething <laughs> right, yes, problems. Yes. And um, uh, we haven't we haven't attempted that, um, but we usually use ibuprofen or mm-hmm. something like that if he really is in pain. But I had a lady suggest that he should wear an amber yes, yes. necklace right, yes, around his neck. And uh, I just said that sounds like a choking hazard to me that doesn't really <laughs> sound like something that we should attempt and she said oh no no it's it's perfectly safe and because they're healing crystals the child yeah. won't choke itself because it knows that this is for its own benefit and for its own oh, good yeah so i don't know if the purpose was for him to be able to chew on the amber crystals or stones or whether it was supposed to repel pain uh, i'm not exactly sure what the function was of it but she swore by it and she'd used it on her six children okay. <laughs> i think that the best line about parenting michael j fox he's like you know for the first two years of a child's life you're just really on suicide watch uh, 
Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm absolutely finding that that's the case because uh, he gets himself into so many scrapes and, and troubles and uh, it's really been a full-time job for me. We, I'm not sending him to uh, any kind of nursery or play group at this stage. He's just with me uh, all day long, nine to five, and it is just a matter of making things as safe around him, yeah. surrounding him in a, a bubble, yeah. I, basically, uh, and protecting him from the world. I mean, we're, we're, we're Facebook friends, so I, I get to see sort of, you know, baby pictures and stuff like that, and, and you know, you do. yeah, he is the, he's the, the kind of the platonic idea of a baby, right? You know, he's just sort of that, just, when you think of baby, that's, that's, your, that's your son, it's just, he's just this cute little bouncing baby, you know, the er baby. Thank you, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, I'm a parent, he's he's my son, I'm biased, but I think he's perfect. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he, he seems wonderful. But uh, I guess we should, we could, we could get into the conspiracy, and uh, I guess, again, for people who maybe who don't know you, they could probably guess by the by the, the faint accent you have that, that you're... That I'm English. Yeah, yeah, that you're... Because you're, 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 you live in uh, Colorado, right? right? That's or, right, yeah, yes, yeah. in the, the Denver area. Okay, but you're pro- uh, you weren't actually born there. You're from... Um... No, no. Some people occasionally think I'm from Boston or New York because I don't <laughs> pronounce my R's, but no, I'm, I'm an Aussie, I'm Australian, okay, right, right. and uh, I've lived in the States. This is my 13th wow, year yeah. now. I used to live in California, and now I'm in Colorado. Oh, great. And, and, and you've you come on to talk about uh, some, some uh, Australian conspiracies. That's right. And when you first invited me onto the show, you said I'd like to discuss a conspiracy theory with you, and in particular an Australian one. And I have to be honest, I initially thought there aren't any Australian yeah. conspiracies. We're too skeptical. Yeah, a little pragmatic. I yeah. mean, <laughs> you know, there, there's um, something about the Australian ethos and the way that Australians are culturally. Mm-hmm. We're pretty down-to-earth people, pretty skeptical people, um, without necessarily considering ourselves to be skeptics. We just, I guess, bordering on cynical, mm-hmm. contented dismiss a lot of silly ideas so I thought there aren't any Australian conspiracies so I started googling Australian conspiracies and was shocked to find <laughs> out just how many there were and so in the end uh, when I got back in touch with you you said go and find something you want to talk mm-hmm. about and I came to you with not one but three separate conspiracies yes, yes, that yes. I thought were interesting and there are plenty more out oh, there yeah. as well yeah. so, uh, so what, what's, what's, what's the first one that kind of uh, sort of tickles you <gasps> Well, I guess we'll start with one that's a... They're all a little bit depressing, I guess. I guess, yeah. This, this one's the most depressing, and, and that's the Port Arthur Massacre. Right, yes, yes. Um, a conspiracy, or conspiracies that are associated with that. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, it was in te- Tasmania, right? It was some sort of a mass killing... That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a place called Port Arthur, and it was an old prison colony. Mm-hmm. Um, so the English were sending a lot of their convicts and criminals there. Um, back in the the 19th century and so there was in this particular area it's a very popular tourist area there was a mass shooting that took place and that was in about 1996 so this is the 20th anniversary of this event but it was the largest mass shooting that ever took place in Australian history and apparently it's one of the very worst uh, in the world that's been committed by a single shooter Um, so it was a anyway a guy by the name of Martin Bryant, and at the time he was just 28 years of age. And, um, and it's a long story, but his family had come into some money. I think he had inherited some money, 
and uh, it's smaller community in Tasmania. It's not as large as Sydney or Melbourne. And he, his family were going to buy, I think, a, a B&B or some kind of house. They were going to turn it into a hotel. And some neighbours or friends of theirs ended up buying the place from under them. And that just pissed him mm. off. That really set him off. And I, I guess with someone like that or maybe James Holmes, um, the, the, the fellow who shot people in the theatre in Aurora here in Colorado, um, I guess you, you never know what's going to set someone off like that right. and if that's really the reason or if that was just a catalyst of some mm. kind. But anyway, uh, so this event led him to go and take a, a bunch of assault rifles and he killed 35 people and wounded about 21 others. Um, he was shooting people in a coffee shop that was there and there was a gift shop as well and a parking lot. Um, and so the, the police ended up taking him into custody, but this was after an overnight standoff that they right. had with him. I think he'd taken a hostage and set himself up in, in a house and um, was there for about 18 hours and uh, ended up killing his hostage and then was eventually caught. Mm -hmm. And so he's now serving a, an enormous prison sentence of 1,035 years wow. uh, without parole. So he's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. And he initially spent about eight months in solitary confinement, which is a very long time. Mm. Um, but anyway, this massacre eventually led to gun controls, uh, laws which were placed in Australia. Uh, and so they banned semi-automatic rifles and self-loading rifles and shotguns and made it very difficult to get a, a firearm mm -hmm. license. So it's a complete opposite of the situation here in the States. Yeah. And they had this buyback program. I remember at the time I had a few friends, I was living in rural Australia, and a few friends had guns for hunting mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so they uh, had to either hand them back to the government or they could sell them back to the government. And they took about 60,000 guns when they did that. So, anyway, there are a number of conspiracies which are associated with this horrible situation, this horrible event. And uh, one of those is that the or the basic one is that the massacre was a plot which was masterminded by the government, mm. the Australian government. Um, some people think that maybe it was masterminded by anti-gun lobbyists mm -hmm. instead. Um, there are theories that people believe Bryant couldn't possibly have killed so many people and that the shootings were actually committed by a trained assassin and that he was a stooge mm -hmm. of some kind and that he, he was basically framed so that the government could uh, terrorise the Australian people and trick them into disarming. So there are lots of stories about the alleged proof associated with this conspiracy theory too and one is that uh, the, the Prime Minister at the time, his name was John Howard, and he was apparently in the process of drafting anti-gun legislation when the massacre occurred. So people are saying, you know, here's proof that this was the government basically setting this up. They already had these laws ready and in place. Uh, and there was another comment which was made by the Premier of New South Wales, which is kind of the, the head of that state. Um, and he said that it would take a massacre in Tasmania before they could tighten gun laws. So he said this maybe. 10 years before, oh, right. I think. Okay, yeah. So that's playing into the, the mindset of conspiracy theories that you've had someone say this, he was referring to something that they were planning at the time. Uh, so, yeah, there's more alleged proof that this took place, mm -hmm. that uh, the staff were 
away at some kind of work seminar during the day of the shootings, so they were all protected and apparently they'd never had any kind of activity like this before, so that was proof that they were being spared. Um, and there are various discrepancies too in the timeline of when Bryant was said to be at various locations, but he was actually caught red-handed. There was loads of evidence. He had a car which was full of weapons and there were countless witnesses. Uh, and another bit of alleged proof is that there was no trial for him. So how you know, could he, if this was some sort of some, some sort of cover-up, then he was protected by not being part of a trial, a big public trial. But the reality is that he pled guilty to all of the charges, so they, they didn't need to have a trial. And that's just standard practice. Um, and people also raise the fact that he was in solitary confinement for so long. They say that he didn't want to... Um, they, they didn't. The government didn't want him to uh, reveal the secrets of what they'd done to him. But in reality, I think it was a matter of them, of him being at risk from other inmates, and they were trying to protect him. He, he was also on suicide watch, so uh, there, there were legitimate, practical reasons for them doing that. So yeah, that that's basically the first conspiracy. I was going to say that that yeah. the um, I, you know. Because right, in, in Canada, we, we, we had a, a few years ago, we had a, a, some sort of homegrown terrorist kill some Canadian soldiers, and then the, you know, the, the conservative government sort of brought in some anti-terrorism legislation, and of course people are like, well, that was, you know, that was a false flag, just so the government could pass this legislation, and it's like, you know, unlike sort of a, a, the American system where it's, um, you know, you don't have very sort of strong parties, you kind of have to, a, almost everybody is a bit of an independent, like, voter in, in, in the Senate and in the, the, the House here you know, in Australia and Canada. If you have a majority government, they just pass anything they want. It's very easy to pass legislation when you have a majority government. So it's like, you know, why do these governments, if they really want to pass this legislation, they don't really have to stage these false flags. If they have a majority government, they just pass it, right. you know? Right, yeah. I can still see, though, if people don't understand how the system works, and it is pretty complicated, yeah. that they could come up with these these conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that Australians um, mostly don't tend to believe the claims. Right. Uh, I've seen, uh, well, I've heard of a lot of people in the States uh, particularly now with what we've been going through mm -hmm. here, um, a lot of people have been saying, well, look what happened in Australia. A lot of the people who support, uh, who are against having gun laws, um, they, they look to what happened in Australia and say, we don't want to go the way that they did. And, and so they, they are promoting this conspiracy theory. But I think as far as Australians are concerned, uh, they don't believe it. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are very angered by the claims because there are survivors who are just still living with the emotional scars of what's happened and families who are still grieving for their loved ones who died. So even though I was shocked to find that it was 20 years ago because to me it was really in my very recent memory yeah, yeah, exactly. and uh, just a lot of the images that were on TV at the time of uh, just various survivors giving speeches and crying and talking about their experiences and what they'd seen I just still remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty insulting conspiracy theory. I, I mean, you know, the, I, I hate the, the the term crisis actor, how it sort of entered the conspiracy in that lexicon, you know, that, that, that you know, those like in, in America, like, you know, the, the parents and 
you know, you know Newton, they're, they were crisis actors, you know, they're not, no, they're, they're parents who've just lost their five-year-old, you know, or their, their, their eight-year-old, like, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's disgusting. I hadn't heard of that term. That's that's a pretty shocking. Term. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's like anything that like the Boston bombing. Like, oh, that's a, look all these crisis actors. Like that. That's their really insulting. Yeah, it's a, they're you know, I mean, false flag is their immediately go to false flag, and then they're not victims. They're crisis actors, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or getting paid off or something. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and horrible. What's what's your and your your next next Australian conspiracy? Okay, um, well, the next one is about Canberra. So I'm not sure if many of your listeners, or I, I'm sure a lot of them have heard of Canberra before, but it's the capital city of Australia. If you were to just um, read the capital, you might, you might go Canberra. Canberra? Canberra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah we, we say Canberra. Canberra, yeah. Uh, just like Melbourne, you know, we, we don't say Melbourne. Right, yes, yes. Um, but I think a lot of people think outside of Australia that the capital city is Melbourne or that it's Sydney because they're very large cities. Yeah. But no, it's actually this little place called Canberra, which is about 300 kilometres uh, southwest of Sydney. And there was a competition which was um, set up in about 1912 mm-hmm. and they were wanting to design Parliament House. And so they had about 100 entrance at the time and the winner was an American architect so we've had a lot of uh, architects from other countries over the years who've designed things like the the Sydney um, um, what am I trying opera to say house. the opera house yes <laughs> um, so a lot of the major buildings that we have in Australia at that time were designed by people from other countries right, right, yeah. so this American architect was named Walter Burley Griffin and so there are a lot of conspiracy theories which are associated with the, the city plan and the design of Parliament House. Um, people believe that it was the, the building was designed uh, based on ancient geomantic principles uh, and that it's riddled with occult significance right. and there are hidden secrets and stuff like that. And So it's been linked to a number of different groups and occult happenings so it's been linked to the freemasons and to the illuminati um to satanic cults and witch covens and uh, believed to be associated with the nazis and the mayans and reptilians and stonehenge and the egyptian pyramids so just all of these crazy theories people see uh just lots of links to, to these various religions and, and beliefs. No, no, no. But, um, I might have read this wrong at some point, but is not the Australian Parliament, isn't it kind of below ground and the people can kind of walk over the, the Parliament? Is that, is that part of the design? Um, I, I don't really know too much about the design. I know that uh, people can actually go there and, and walk around it. I think they destroyed a hill okay. so that they could build... Parliament House itself, uh, Capitol Hill, on that actual area where the hill was. And so they've just tried to make as much of the surrounding land as they possibly can. But it's in a, a little bit of a valley with hills okay. Okay. surrounding that. And uh, I've, I've been there, but it was about 20 years ago. Right. It was okay. quite some time ago. Uh, but it's a very intricate design, but then it's a capital city. Right. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's meant to be, uh, you know, to have a lot of money poured into it and, and to be a, a job that the country can be proud of um, but with this Walter Burley Griffin him and his wife were into new age spirituality okay. at the time so 
there are a lot of claims that there are uh, just various facets of the design, um, which means that it's, as, as I said, associated with all of these groups. For example, there are some rings which are around Capitol Hill, and people say that that means it's marked as a it's a consecrated temple. And there's a, a plan of the, the Parliament House, and people say that it represents the all-seeing eye pyramid of the Illuminati. Sure, why not? So there are lots of pyramid shapes too, which are designed so into the, the building structure, and so people say that it's because it's linked to the Egyptian pyramids somehow. And uh, one claim which is actually true is there's a that there are lots of underground limestone caves, and so apparently that is the case. Right. But I don't think that that really has. I think there are lots of cities here in the states too that have caves and caverns underneath, and that just doesn't mean anything at all. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah, these theories are quite new as well because, as I said, this all came together uh, in the uh, 1912 was when they held this competition. Mm -hmm. And I think the place was built by about 1920. Mm -hmm. And so these conspiracy theories have only emerged in the past two decades. Right, okay. So I'm, I'm not quite sure why that's the case. I mean, you know, the, the, the Internet and sort of importing kind of, kind of that's a good point. American conspiracies and yeah, well, I see some similarities between these claims and those of uh, the DIA, Denver yes, Airport, yeah. near, nearby here. There are lots of claims about um, it being associated with the reptilians and yeah. um, just, just all kinds of relations to aliens and various things. And So I think that there are some similarities. So maybe it's some of these theories which are transplanted to Australia as well. Oh, yeah, but, no doubt. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that you can't have an architectural design that just stands uh, the, the way that it is. It has to have some kind of symbolism and some kind of deep yeah. meaning for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think that the Australian government isn't that powerful. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. Constantly. Well, I mean, I'm always fascinated. Why not, like, you know, the Denver airport, and you even mentioned it with the, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Can Canberra? Can yeah. Canberra, yeah. yeah. The, uh, you know, the, 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 there's always this underground chamber or underground, some sort of underground chamber sort of yes, part of yeah. the conspiracy where it's well I'm not, I'm not sure why people throw that in like but it, uh, other than you know it's like well where's this all going on we can't see it well it's underground you know? well yeah and i think that the link to the reptilians as well and they're supposed to be living underground yeah, and, yeah. um i guess it's just something maybe people find fearful that we're living above ground and just this idea that there's something going on beneath us yeah yeah um, you know, is just a frightening idea but certainly with the dia there are uh the the trains which link you to the various terminals and airlines they're all underground so well there you go um, so yeah yeah but some of the ideas are just stupid no. <laughs> there's a, a claim that uh there's a, a writing of the aliens or the reptilians in, in one area, and my husband is Denver born and bred, yeah. and uh, he showed me this this writing, this alleged writing of the aliens, and it was Braille. <laughs> so I don't know what kind of idiot doesn't know that. But. Well, I mean, it, in Canada, before we had the Canadian flag, we, we had a flag before that called the, uh, the Red Ensign, and um, on one of our uh, $5 bill, uh, yeah, Prime Minister Laurier is on the front, and then on the back they have a picture of Parliament. And and, mm -hmm. and when Laurier was Prime Minister, he the, they just had the flag on the Parliament that existed in Laurier's time, the Red Ensign. 
But if you look at the red ensign, like if you made it really, really, really small, like on you know on the back of a bill, it kind of looks like an American flag because it's sort of, you know, it's got the um, you know where the, the the stars are. You know, that's okay. where the sort of the Union Jack is in the red ensign, and so people are just outraged. It's just like this is just they put an American flag and just. They're going to sell Canada to America, and you know all these patriots, you know, and it's like right. it's like Dick, you know, Canada. That that was Canada's flag. That like, how can you call yourself a patriot and not know Canadian history? But what? When did our flag become our flag? And what was the flag before that flag? And oh, yeah, it always pays to look into a bit of history before you make any claims like that. <laughs> no, I'm not an asshole, but uh, you're allowed to swear on this podcast, okay? So. Oh well, if, fuck if I'd known. <laughs> Sorry, yes, yes. <laughs> Should have told me earlier. There's <laughs> plenty to swear about. Yes, yes, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and then you, you you had a you had a, you had a third one, was it? Uh, That's oh, right. Okay. Yes, uh, all, all these things come in through. Yes, yes. And uh, since we've been talking about politics in Canberra. Uh, I was going to talk about a former Prime Minister of Australia. So we don't have presidents, we have Prime Ministers. And uh, his name was Harold Holt. And so there are lots of conspiracy theories associated with him because he disappeared in 1967. It was uh, in December of 1967. He went swimming one day with a couple of friends and this was at a beach in Victoria. Mm -hmm. And he just disappeared. So he went out into the water and he never came back. And apparently the uh, police and the authorities launched a 22-day search, which was just the longest Mm -hmm. in Australian history. But there was absolutely no sign of him whatsoever. And they ruled that it was an accidental drowning. But I think at the time they didn't do any kind of uh, uh, investigation Mm -hmm. into what took place because... There was some kind of law at the time that if you didn't have a body, then you couldn't do an investigation like oh, that. Okay. So this has led to multiple conspiracy theories. Uh, at the time being 1967, of course, this was during the days of Vietnam, mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. So there's one claim that Harold Holt was, um, because he was involved, he got Australia involved in Vietnam, mm-hmm. that he was assassinated for that. Um, this was just a couple of years after Kennedy's assassination, oh, okay. too. So I guess a lot of people had this on the brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there were claims that he was depressed and that he decided to commit suicide. And uh, another one is that he was was taking painkillers for a shoulder injury that he had. And so that that is true. That actually did happen. And so people say that his judgment was clouded. Mm-hmm. So that's not so much a conspiracy theory, but it's certainly an explanation for right, yeah. what happened. Um, another theory is that he faked his own death to run off with a mistress. And one of the people who uh, was on the beach with him, I think her name was Marjorie Gillespie, uh, she was actually having an affair with him at the time. So he was well known, I guess speaking of Kennedy, yeah. um, he was well known to be a, a womanizer okay. himself. And he had, well, it was uh, maybe half a dozen relationships going on at that particular time. Um, so that, that was a possibility, I guess. Um, but another journalist years later, and I think it was a British journalist, came up with a very complicated theory, and that was that Harold Holt was a spy for the Chinese and that so he's leading this kind of double life. And when the Australian government found out about this, he was picked up by a Chinese submarine. So he went out into the water and was picked up by a submarine and was whisked away to China. 
So those are the basic conspiracy theories. And the alleged proof is that he was a really strong swimmer and, um, you know, how could he possibly have drowned? Right, right. But apparently there were eyewitnesses who attested to the fact that the sea was very rough that day and there were very high winds and dangerous rip currents. So apparently this particular beach was under military control. So I think it was being protected maybe because of something to do with the Vietnam War. Mm. But at any rate, the average Australian just couldn't go out to this this particular beach. I think it was at a port sea. Right, right. And um, he was given permission permission with his friends to, to use the beach that day. But apparently just typically people wouldn't go swimming there anyway because it was just so dangerous. Right, and right. Um, all the eyewitnesses said you could just see the water kind of bubbling around him. Mm. So... Um, you know, and certainly if he was on pain medication too, he just mightn't have had all of his faculties and known exactly what he was doing. Right. He was just being irresponsible, really. But because his body was never recovered, a lot of people think, oh, well, then this is some kind of proof that of these conspiracy theories that he was maybe whisked off to China or something else happened to him. Um, but it's believed by the police... Um, at the time, after this 22-day search, that his body was probably just carried out to sea or maybe it was taken by sharks, which is certainly not unheard of in Australian waters. Um, so this uh, journalist who came up with the whole Chinese theory as well, um, he said that Holt's personal correspondence had revealed a lot of hidden messages about his involvement with the Chinese and uh, he, he came up with some really ridiculous theories that the room he was staying in at the time or the room he'd just come from when he went to the beach, that it had lots of hidden messages about the Western about Western military vessels and that there was apparently a pineapple in a bowl and that that resembled a, uh, represented a battleship and that there was a banana which represented a submarine. So lots of crazy theories about that anyway. Um, but it seems like in reality it was an accident and he made a, a poor choice and he drowned. Um, apparently six months earlier he had been snorkeling in that same area and he'd almost drowned then. So it was kind of a precursor to what had happened. Uh, and I, I found a nice quote from his wife as well, um, long-suffering wife, <laughs> and she just scoffed at the idea that he could have been associated with the Chinese and been a spy. She said that he didn't even like Chinese food. So it was funny. Yeah. And um, also, I think in Australian humour, the Australian sense of humour is very strange. And I found that there's a pool complex in Victoria, okay. which to this day uh, has the name Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre. <laughs> That's an irony, and there's a, a band as well, which is called Harold Holt and the Chinese Submarines. <laughs> so I don't know if they've released very much, but um, you know, finally, just as a, a linguist, I think that this is interesting. It's a term that I don't hear very much. It's a term that my father, you know, who's now in his 80s, um, he would use when I was a kid. But he'd talk about doing the halt to do the halt, and that's a rhyming slang. Um, it means to leave. So basically do the whole is to bolt oh okay all right so yeah that's just an older term um but uh yeah that's just an an interesting conspiracy uh, or set of conspiracies i, I think conspiracy theories in, in canada we have uh, the term the uh, trudeau salute um mm -hmm. uh, well, our current prime minister justin trudeau his dad was prime minister in the, in the 70s and the 80s and oh i didn't know yeah and um he was kind of he was sort of like our um 
oh, like kind of if it crossed Kennedy with Leonard Cohen, he was kind of that was oh, yeah yeah bizarre. yeah yeah he was he was this um, he was sort of our philosopher king or our god emperor. He was uh, he, he was an interesting character, but he um, uh, just powerful intellect of a man and and mm-hmm. stylish and dated Hollywood movie stars and. And anyway, so he's on a, his train going across Canada, and uh, and uh, some protesters were waiting for him, and they, you know, they're protesting. I don't know what they're protesting about, but uh, there's a picture of him basically looking out the window and uh, giving the finger to these protesters, which, which <laughs> then became so now in Canada we call giving the finger we call the Trudeau salute. So. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, he was, he was quite 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 the character. He. he passed away a number of years ago but uh yeah but um i was gonna say um um yeah that how uh, howard holt what was, it, what was his name howard holt harold yeah right holt, yes. i mean yeah. yeah he he was kind of um didn't kind of didn't sort of create the australian constitution or something like that like he was a bit of a uh well i i to be honest i don't know much about his uh, time during his tenure okay. because it was only about a year, oh, okay. so he wasn't really in for very long. I think he's most uh, most well known today for dying the way, okay. <laughs> and also getting Australia involved with the Vietnam, Vietnam War yeah. and his support of um, uh, there was a saying about going all the way with LBJ. Right, right. Um, and so his his support for the Vietnam War and um, I think a lot of people were very upset with him at the time um they brought in conscription into australia so that a lot of young australian men were sent away to a war that we didn't really believe in mm-hmm. so i think at the time though he well prior to that i think he was believed to to be a very interesting character and um i, I think he had um you know kind of like trudeau in a sense really that he he was a snappy dresser mm-hmm. and that he um was just a very impressive person um, to deal with, and so I think he had a pretty good reputation until that point. But then after that, uh, and certainly with the, the nature of his death, um, that's really what he's remembered for right. nowadays. Well, I remember George George W. Bush. He, um, it, he a lot of people forget it, but he he almost died shortly into his presidency, where he uh, he almost choked to death on on a pretzel. And um, do, do you remember this? You know, it sounds familiar, and I know he did a lot of stupid things, and it's hard to really know what's fact and and what's fantasy when it comes to him with all the, the things I've read over the years. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I just I thought you know, but you know, if he had died of choking on a pretzel, like like, I mean, the conspiracy theories would have just been rampant. Like 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 no one would have believed that someone could have just you know the president of the United States. He's got to be watched by. Secret Service constantly, like, like you know, but yeah, how could he just have choked to death on a pretzel? Well, yeah, that's another good point too. With Harold Holt, people were saying at the time, well, why didn't he have any kind of security? Why didn't he have guards with him? And that um, that's another reason why he was a Chinese spy or right, he was right. assassinated because he didn't at that time he didn't have any protection, any security. But I think just in those days. I don't even know what it's like today, but certainly in those days, there just wasn't much emphasis placed on having security guards in Australia and and um, just having that kind of protection, even though the Kennedy assassination was just a few years beforehand. Um, I, I think Australians would probably think, well, this sort of thing couldn't really happen to us. That happens in the 
crazy United States doesn't really happen to us. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think until just recently, like, I mean, most, like, our, our parliament and then our sort of Ontario legislature, I, I don't think they were protected by armed guards, that they were, you know, they were guys with flashlights, but, 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 uh, I, I think it was like the, 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 uh, sergeant at arms in, in, in parliament kind of had to go well, when this terrorist kind of like attack the our parliament building with the sergeant at arms you know I, very, usually you know, the ceremonial role like if, he's, if someone's acting up in parliament his job is to kind of turf him kick him out or something but he he had to go back to his office and find his pistol or something like that and so they shoot the guy but um but but yeah so uh, yeah i mean even until recently right i mean you you, you just think like well, of course, every politician in the world has, like, two guards on them all the time. It's like, well, no, that's, a lot of yeah. countries don't worry about those sorts of things necessarily. Oh, yeah, and I, I, I mean, perhaps there were reasons that people might have wanted Harold Holt to be dead, um, but it just doesn't seem like anyone really benefited from his death. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I, are, are, you, are you an American citizen now, or are you, are you still... No, I've got my green card. Okay. I need to wait a couple more years before I can become a citizen and and uh, sit for that test and and do all of those fantastic things. Right. So, I mean, well, you know, but, if Trump is elected president, is there a is there an exit plan? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> my my husband now has his Australian visa, oh. so we're ultimately wanting to get dual citizenship. My son, my fifteen month yeah. old son is a dual citizen of Australia and the United States. So he's uh, an American citizen by birth and he's an Australian citizen by descent. Right, yeah. So, yeah, he has uh, all of his certification. He's got two passports, so he's a real man of the world and, and we're still trying to sort out our visas. But, yeah, my husband has his Australian visa and uh, eventually we'll get citizenship. But, yeah, it would be a good good exit plan i think too yeah. melbourne is pretty nice in. i mean that's not going to happen right no no <laughs> well yeah that, that's the thing it's like um you know my, my fiance i always start snicker about trump and she's like you know if there's you know shortly before the election if there's like some you know 9-11 level terrorist attack you know people just might be really really mad you know and they may just sort of in anger, you know, vote for the guy who's like, we're gonna round these people up and put them in camps. You know, you just you just don't know, yeah. right? And uh, well, I, I I think a lot of people have pointed out the parallels between him and Hitler. And um, uh, that aside, I think that there are definitely some similarities to the um, the sentiment mm -hmm. that was brewing in Germany at the time that Hitler got in as Chancellor in, in 1933 and of course they'd just gone through the Great Depression mm -hmm. they'd gone through the humiliation of the First World War and so Germans were pissed off and, and they had good reason and I can see lots of Americans feeling very pissed off and feeling like they've got good reason yeah. um, but I just I don't know it just reminds me of the whole I don't know if you're aware of the there was a fellow called Jeff Peckman in Colorado years ago who was trying to pass a particular law um, to, to set up a division in government um, that would basically be a welcoming committee to the aliens when they, <laughs> they land. Did you ever hear about no, that? No, no. My husband and his, uh, his business partners, so Brian and Baxter, they were instrumental in really trying to warn the public against this guy and his stupid ideas <laughs> and so at the time I think their their point was that you might think this is funny and you might want to vote him in 
or vote in this idea just for a laugh. Yeah. Um, or you think that it might not happen, but this could actually happen. So we're adopting that same kind of sentiment now and urging friends and family to go and, and vote because people think, oh, this isn't going to happen yeah. or maybe we should vote him in just for a laugh to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, wow, I mean, talk about conspiracy theories. If he does get in, I think there'll be some wild conspiracy theories associated with him in the future. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, like, you know, Colorado skeptics, I mean, I, I've had, I mean, including you, I must have had about maybe four uh, guests from the, from Colorado, be you, Richard, Rich Orman. Uh, oh, Rich Orman, yeah. mm-hmm. he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a great guy, uh, Stuart Rodman's doctor, astro student, doctor student. Oh, yes, Stuart, he's a good yeah. friend too. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and like in terms of, you know, a skeptical community, it seems like, like Colorado skeptics kind of, you know, they, they punch way, way above their weight. Like, uh, what, what, uh... Yeah, well, I totally agree. I think that skepticism has uh, you know, taken a few punches over the past couple of years. Lots of things have happened. Mm-hmm. Lots of factions have set up. And uh, so there are lots of problems with skepticism. But um, certainly all of the, the Colorado skeptics have remained this tight-knit little group. And I remember when I lived in the Bay Area in California, mm-hmm. I was always very... Uh, I really admired the Colorado skeptics and I admired the Atlanta skeptics too because it seemed like they had this tight-knit group that they were all really supportive and good friends with each other and that they just did a lot of things. They weren't armchair skeptics. They actually got out there and did stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I I still think that. So even though times are changing, uh, I think it's a great group of people here who've really contributed a shitload to skepticism. And Thank you for swearing. Since I can swear <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. show, they've, they've done a lot for skepticism. And so whether there's a skeptical movement or not, these people are always going to be skeptics and uh, always promote critical thinking. And they're a really good bunch of people. You're going to have to come out here and visit. Now, now, now speaking of skepticism and, and your, 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 your degree, you know, Canadians are very skeptical of America. We do not say oot in a boot, because Americans think we say oot in a boot. And, and yeah, I mean, I live, uh, I, I lived outside of Canada for eight years, so I lived like in Seattle for four years, and I lived in Korea for okay. four years, and so, so for a good eight years, all of my exposure to the English language was basically American English. And when I came Fine. back to Canada for about a week, I was hearing oots in a boots, and, and and then it kind of, like, when I got used to the Canadian accent, I, I stopped hearing it. And I thought to myself, you know, you know the McGurk effect? Um, no, no. Um, you probably I, okay. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, my PhD supervisor is a Canadian okay. woman. And I've never heard her say a boo. Okay. And it, it might be a regional thing. Yeah, so, yeah. to be honest, I just don't know much about Canadian accents. Oh, okay. uh, I know you've got it. A huge French uh, influence right. in many parts of the country, uh, but I, I'd be tempted to say that that could be a regional dialect from somewhere, right. uh, a regional accent, and that that's just kind of diffused into the American culture, and people think, oh, that's how all Canadians <laughs> speak. Yeah. But I, I would challenge most Americans, I think, to be able to differentiate between a Canadian accent and an American, an American accent. Um, yeah, as you know from following me on Facebook, I'm complaining all the time. Oh, People yes. think I'm from England, I'm from Ireland, I'm from Scotland, or I'm uh, French or German or uh, New Zealand or South African. So I think 
is it just might be a regional thing and they've just kind of extrapolated and no, think, oh, okay. all Canadians sound like that. It's just a, a, a shortcut for them, a point of reference, but it's not true. I mean, I, I like to think that Canadians, or me and all the Canadians I know, that we, we sound like American TV movie, like that American TV movie accent. and But, um, I, I, I mean, I did find living in Seattle that, that even though I thought Seattle people sounded Canadian, that, that Seattle people were very quick to pick out your, your Canadian. So they could tell? How could they tell then that you were Canadian? I, I, I suspect less maybe like an accent and more just like word choices, like like I would say. like a, Ah, it's a like, dialect yeah, of choices. Yeah, like washrooms at a restroom or uh, it was uh, like holidays was an interesting one there. Where I, Instead of vacation. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going on holiday. There's a holiday? No. Yes. I'm taking some days off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So in the States, that's a, a nationally appointed yes. uh, day off. And whereas in Australia, if you go, as Americans say, if you go on vacation, we'd say we're going on holidays. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a similarity then between us. And you found you had to sort of scrub some Australian uh, sort of lingo out of your the way you talk. I'm sorry. Is it, is it, have, you, have you found that live in America, you've had to sort of sort of scrub out some like some of your Australian words and you know like like you know you have to learn to say like I would have to learn to say vacation going on vacation or you know where well, is the know, restroom you know I think most of the time I do try to assimilate and that just makes things easier mm-hmm. if I say where's the bathroom then you know people either it doesn't compute it's a syntax error and they don't understand what I'm saying or they might <laughs> laugh and think oh yeah, that British woman has a funny accent. Right, yes. So it is easier to assimilate and to say restroom. Um, sometimes, I mean, there's a theory in linguistics that you can either converge towards an accent or a language or you can diverge. And so I think I really do a bit of both. Sometimes I converge because it's just easier to fit in. And then other times I want to assert my Australian identity. Right, right, and yeah. so I choose to use an Australian term. Uh, certainly before I met my husband, um, my previous partner was uh, an Australian guy. And so we were just always using Australian terms because we lived together. But now that I'm with an American, um, in some ways I've converged towards him and I use terms that he uses. And in other ways, he's very interested in the Australian culture. So he will use terms. I think it's kind of romantic, really. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll talk about the bathroom and he'll uh, talk about having tea instead of having dinner. Um, so he, he will use my Australian terms yeah. because he's he's converging towards me. And it's some good practice for him for when Trump comes into yes. power. And we have to <laughs> he's got to get the hell out. Uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't keep you too much more because you probably have a, 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 a little child that you, you have to tend to. But uh, Oh, yes, but no worries. After this, I'm actually going to be speaking with Blake. And Blake says hi as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, Blake is... Uh, first, I think he's like has the best voice in podcasting, and it is a great voice. Yeah, isn't it? really he's, commanding, deep voice. I've, I've met him a couple of times, and uh, he, he's 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 just this charming man, isn't he? He's just like he is. He's genuinely a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, what you see is what you get, and what you hear is what you get. Yeah. He's just a a great guy, mm-hmm. one of the best. I, I have met you a couple of times. I don't even know if you remember, but you know you. you yes, you, I yeah. do. I remember the last time yeah, I went to. Uh, yeah. That was I think 2014. Yeah. You you meet about a billion people. So I don't expect you. Oh yes, I remember meeting Carl. But 
No, I, I do remember you coming over and you spoke with my husband and I, and I think it was at one of the bars there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but uh, yeah, and uh, speaking of bars, so it might be my final question. You always ask about monsters, but um, uh, Bigfoot would be my favorite monster. But um, uh, my, my final question is if people, as I say, I'm not on the podcast, so I don't want anything, but uh, my guests are always the ones you should, um, you know, throw money at or other things. But uh, so if someone saw you, uh, you know, at a, at a Las Vegas bar and said, oh, Karen Stolzner, where have I heard that name before? Oh, yes, you were in Conspiracy Skeptic, weren't you? I enjoyed that show. Uh, could I buy you a drink? What what, what what should people buy you if they, they encounter you? You know, what are you I think my, my drink, my poison is just a glass of Chardonnay. All right. And uh, I, I think, you know, DJ Grothy, yeah, yeah. formerly the president of the J-Rep. Yeah. I remember years ago, I'd just taken over Point of Inquiry from him. Oh, yeah. And right. um, so I met up, met up with him at TAM, so the amazing meeting. And uh, he said, congratulations on taking over the job at Point of Inquiry. Let me buy you a drink. What would you like? And I said, I'll have a Chardonnay. And he said, what's... What's a, a shot of nay? <laughs> so, this is another fun accent thing. I, you thought I said a shot of nay, no. so um, yeah, Chardonnay, white wine. Yeah. What well, one of your fellow countrymen isn't he doing point of inquiry now? Um, yeah. To be honest, I don't follow oh, it oh, anymore. Okay. So possibly, oh. um, you might want to edit that bit sure, out. No, I, don't. No, I, I still listen. It, it, it's taken a very kind of. Um, uh, taking a very political stand, kind of a very progressive political stand, and and, and you know, it jives with my politics, so I like it. But well, I think it had when uh, we took over from DJ. There was Chris Mooney, who um, he did a lot of political mm-hmm. uh, topics, and um, you know, we talk about the the Republicans a lot and the um, right wings and right-wingers and and so that that was kind of his focus and so i think that they were really diverging a bit and, and going off track with that i know that uh that's predominantly run by cfi which is just not only skepticism but it's also um humanism and just mm-hmm. free thought right, in yeah. general but i think that they were taking a, a turn that was unrelated at that point really mm-hmm. um but i Unfortunately, stopped paying attention when I moved on to other things myself. Mm, but uh, I remember when I was doing the show that people um, were saying that I was really the the only one of the three hosts that was sticking to skepticism, mm, yeah. um, and that everyone else was really just treating religion or treating politics and and not skepticism. Right. I, I don't mean to to bitch about anyone else. <laughs> no, it's okay. There's the show to bitch about people, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, well, I'll let you go. Thank, thanks again, Karen, for, for being on my show. Well, thank you so much, and I just have to, to comment about your show. I think it's just really important that you treat conspiracy theories because there are so many podcasts out there. And, uh, I mean, we've got a, a niche area talking about monsters on Monster Talk of cryptids, and, <laughs> and we delve into other areas, but I just think it's really cool that there's someone out there who's talking about conspiracy mm-hmm. theories because it, it is an important topic. Well, you know, I mean, the the conspiracy theory is almost sort of the, it's like the 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 the, the incidental. I, I you know what I, what I've been trying really to really do. You now, you're a bit of a derivation because you are like a famous skeptic, but I, I've always tried to get on like um, you know, 
like just people who don't aren't known by anybody, but they just know a lot about one conspiracy or something. So it's like, you know, and uh, and that's all just fascinating. Just this, these, just the people like me who are just you know you're they have a day job and they just know something about one conspiracy. And I just love getting those people on. And, oh yeah, I, you could really just spend an entire life, I think, delving into one conspiracy yeah, theory yeah. and picking a side with it. And um, you know, it's interesting to talk with anyone who's an expert or just has a lot of knowledge about one yeah. specific area. But uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, I, I don't, don't mean to sort of mean like, you know, you don't really belong on this podcast, but I'm making an exception. <laughs> but no, you're, I mean, you are, you're just, you know, you are like, you know, you're probably one of the, one of the best skeptics out there in podcasts. So I'm just, oh, I'm really happy thank, to have you on. Thank you so. for saying that. I don't know if I agree, but thank you for saying that. And it was certainly fun to look into Australian conspiracy theories because it was something I wasn't being skeptical about and didn't know anything about. And now I, I feel like I've got some knowledge. So thank you very much <laughs> yeah. for that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, have a, have a good night. Have a good night, Karen. You too, okay. Carl. Thank you All so right. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I will, I'll let, let you go. I got to go. Uh, it's 10 o'clock here and I'm 50 years yes. old. So <laughs> that means... Late for I know. you and um, it's late for, um, for Blake too, but we're going to oh, okay. have to do a, a short interview. Oh, okay, great. Okay, say hi to Blake again. We'll see. Okay, Take thanks, care. Bye-bye. Bye. Karen. Sounds neat.